listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome everyone to the 2018 season of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. Hope you had a good break and you're all refreshed to take on your your season wherever you may be in the world. Uh, you probably noticed a new intro song there and uh, also a new voiceover as well. Just decided to give the show a bit of a, a freshen up. If you have any suggestions that you'd like to hear, uh, any interviews you'd like to hear or any contacts you'd like to link me up with, please feel free to email me, do so via the website or or reach out to me via Twitter. Always happy to receive any kind of review via iTunes as well. It really helps promote the show. But for now, just sit back and relax and enjoy the latest episode. Cheers. Welcome to episode number 54 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Ross Munro-Williams. Ross is from South Africa and started coaching rugby at age 19 and has been involved with every age group from under-7s at school to adult Super League A club and varsity club under-20s. He owns two businesses, is currently the under-21 coach at the University of Cape Town, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show, so welcome, Ross. Yeah, thanks, Andy. It's uh, quite an intro, but uh, very happy to be and uh, quite excited to do my first uh, podcast. Yeah, well, you're, I'm excited too because you're the first South African to come on the show. So, uh, oh, it's, stop it. It's, uh, I'm disappointed in myself that it's taken 54 episodes for it to happen, but um, stoked that you, you agreed to come on for a chat. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. So, um, what's, a, what's a bit of your, your backstory in terms of playing experience and some of the memories of, uh, of, of the coaching you received during that, that journey? Yeah, it's been a quite an interesting one. Um, I was actually more of a water sports um, kid growing up. I was very heavy into life-saving. You're mm-hmm. an Australian, so I'm sure you know how big it is. Yeah, for sure. um, So life-saving is a big kind of pool for me, a very much individual sports. And um, I moved to uh, all-boys school in, in, in Cape Town called Saks. Um, they're the... I think they're the second second organisation that ever that uh, started rugby union in the country after Bishops, which is down the road. Um, so, and Sax is actually the oldest school in the country. So, when I moved there, the emphasis was on rugby. You know, it was it was the traditional sports. You know, it's very much old school. Uh, you know, kind of focus and um, you know the the competitiveness um, at Sax was insane. You know, when you play your local derbies against, you know, you you've got Paul Jim, you've got the Paul Roosters. It's, I mean, it's been argued that it's probably one of the hardest, maybe the most competitive um, school rugby league in in the world. Wow. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of the oldest, uh, apart from a couple of the English schools. But um, you know, we regularly get, uh, you know, in your in your big derbies. I mean, the biggest derby I think in the world at school level is, is Paul Jim versus Paul Boys, which is uh, in Cape Town as well. And they regularly attract an audience of about twenty thousand um, spectators. Um, we, in our derbies, uh, sacks, I think the most sacks has ever attracted is about 10,000, uh, against Weinberg, uh, Bishop's first, uh, Ronda Bosch there down the road as well. They also get about, you know, eight, 8,000, 10,000. I, I think they've got up to 15 at one stage. Wow. Um, so you can imagine, I mean, as a schoolboy, you know, you're 16, you know, 14 to 18 years old here. And, uh, you know, you get those kind of crowds, you know, you can imagine where your uh, focus, uh, is when you're at a schoolboy. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, the, the competitive nature there is insane. Um, you know, Saks has produced uh, hundreds of, uh, I don't know, hundreds, I think about 30 or 40 Springboks. I think it's uh, second most or one of the most in, in South African rugby history. So, you know, that kind of that kind of intensity and uh, focus. Um, so my experience at, um, you know, when I got to Saks was to change from water sports and individual sports to become the team kind of focus, you know, and play against, play with your mates against, the, you know, the big schools, the local guys, you know, it's just one of the best uh, memories I've had. Um, the coaching we received back then... Uh, I matriculated in 2006, so you know it was it was between about 2002 and 2006 around there when I was at Sachs. Um It's very very different from what it is now. We were very amateur back then. Uh, we only had about a week of preseason straight into trials. Um, a lot of the teachers were coaching, and and back then um, the teachers were very ill-informed on how to coach. Uh, there was, you know, there were only just. Uh, 
it was a hobby really for a lot of them. And, you know, it was a lot of, oh man, I think I, I must have spent weeks, you know, as I used to play hooker and um, I was short, fat and, you know, not very skillful. So, you know, it kind of got shoved in the middle and, um, you know, it was it's unfortunate, uh, you know, you get classified, but, you know, we, we used to, I mean, our practice sessions used to be uh, every Tuesday and Thursday um, when you used to practice, I just remember throwing line outs after line out. We must've done an hour of a week, uh, at least an hour of week, you know, just throwing into the line out. Um, you know, you're born out of your tree, but you know, that was the kind of, I do remember one instance to kind of like summarize the whole experience was, um, one of the players came back and I was the B team hooker at that stage in under 16. And one of the players uh, came back and the selection that week was who could throw the ball in the line out straight. Um, <laughs> it's like, choosing your, like choosing your goal kicker. Just yeah, everyone, exactly. everyone like gets a crack. Exactly. That was, that was it. And, uh, you know, the, the guy threw a little bit straighter than I did. And, um, you know, that, that was the selection and I was shoved off to the C team. You know, it's like, regardless of like who I, how I could play and what benefits I came to, you know, that just kind of summarized it for me. It was just like a laissez-faire, just couldn't give a flying. Um, but compared to now, um, you know, schoolboy rugby is, is a hell of a lot more professional. You've got biokineticists in your A teams in the age groups. You've got, um, probably about two or three coaches that are, if not, if not ambitious, um, you know, they take it pretty seriously. You know, they've got a lot of coaching courses. Uh, you know, they, they spend a lot of money in the schools on their coaching education now. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things now. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, that was that was kind of my experience um, at, at school. I mean, this, the player safety wasn't there. The, you know, it was just kind of, I don't even think we did warm-ups. Um, it was just kind of just thrown into the contact area. So, I think very, I mean, even when I was young, even when I was uh, in, in junior school, which is primary school, um, you know, I think if I remember correctly, we were still playing with the leather, with the leather balls. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not even 30 yet, so you know, you can imagine. So we're a bit behind the times there. So, yeah, so that was pretty much my my kind of uh, experience, really. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people listening might have uh, similar experiences too, no matter where they where they grew up. Um, I definitely uh, can relate to a few of those, especially the leather ball. Awesome when it's yeah. wet. <laughs> Uh, great, great for running rugby when it's pissing down rain. Yeah, <laughs> um, kickers didn't like them though. No, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, what's a what's a bit of a you you kind of touched a little bit on the description of uh, the landscape in South Africa with uh, key playing areas and schools and clubs. What's uh, outside of Cape Town? Where where are the kind of main spots? Yeah, um, I mean, Cape Town is. I mean, especially Newlands is the epicenter really because I mean, mm. rugby was really developed. I mean, not. 100 meters down the road from where I live, uh, Bishops. So, you know, Cape Town is very much, they've always been the powerhouse for many, many years mm-hmm. in Western provinces, the, is the main um, foothold. But um, outside of Cape Town, you know, you've also got the Bulls in Pretoria. Um, they've got a couple of big powerhouse schools there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do have a massive emphasis on recruiting, though, because they've only got about one or two schools that are really good feeder schools. Um, uh, the Stormers, they have, uh, which is Cape Town, we have at least eight or nine schools that are, that are, you know, regularly in the top, um, call it the top 20 or 30, um, in the country. So, you know, storms are very lucky like that. So the bulls have a massive uh, recruiting strategy. Um, the sharks, which is in Durban, they're also, uh, kind of a main center, but their schools aren't as, uh, competitive. Um, there's a couple of schools inland in the middle of South Africa. Um, very, uh, I think very Afrikaans, uh, very, you know, the Afrikaans, uh, kind of population really take rugby really seriously it's like a religion um it's it's not a joke at all um <laughs> so you know cape town the english i mean there's often the the you know the english versus the kind of africana uh yeah kind of what do you call it um rivalry if you like mm. uh, that still kind of permeates um you know it's a big it was a big thing always when we were at school as well so you know so that's a, that's a kind of um school setup Club setup is not as well organized compared to like in England, for example. Um, you know, England have thousands of clubs that are all kind of levels. You know, you can play at any really, any level really and you, um, you know, you, you, you pretty much find your home. I, mean, I had a great experience when I went over there to play. I played for uh, Paynton in, in Devon. Um, you know, that was a great, great experience. You know, like all levels are kind of catered for. Mm. Where in, in South Africa here, uh, Durban is maybe a little bit different, um, but especially in Cape Town. I mean, we've got 120 clubs. But if you're not in the Super League A, which is, you know, at one point, if, if we went the route of, of England with the, uh, the Heineken Cup kind of clubs, we would have gone that way with the Villages, the Hamiltons, the, uh, uh, what's the other school, uh, False Bays. Um, you know, they used to be, they used to attract crowds in the 80s uh, of 
couple of, you know, they used to fill out Newland Stadium, mm-hmm. a Villagers versus a Hamilton's Derby Day back in the 80s with Mornay Duplessis playing. You know, they would get, you know, they'd fill out the stadium, you know, 40, 40 50,000 people. Um, nowadays, the club is the same clubs, but, you know, they're lucky to attract a, a crowd of about 1,000. Uh, and that's a, that's on a really, really good day. So, you know, the landscape's uh, changed quite a lot. and so professionalism changed that. Clubs yeah. don't have as much emphasis anymore in the, in the kind of – it's very rare to find a player to go from club in Cape Town to professional. Um, although they, although administrators do give lip service to it, it, it really happens. Yeah. Uh, it's generally straight out of school. Um, straight into professional leagues, into the academies. Um, I think the Sharks take it a bit differently. The, the Durban, Quasilu um, and they use their clubs quite a lot and they also do um, curtain raises at, at the actual Sharks right. stadium, you know, before Super Rugby. So, you know, they put a lot of, a lot of the Sharks players also actually get dropped or if they come back from injury, they'll play um, club rugby for a bit. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different and, that, and that's nice for the guys there. Cool. Um, club rugby is a bit professional, Um Guys do, do get paid. I was at a club for two years where we tried not to pay the guys and try to take a stand. Very similar to Richmond um, in England as well. They're trying to do a, a semi-pro thing. I actually, spent two, I actually spent two weeks with them about three, three years ago. Um, although they do, play the pay, they do pay the players, they don't pay as nearly as much as the other championship teams. Um, we tried to do it here, but it just wasn't feasible. Um, but anything after the Super League, you know, look at the Super League B, C, D, um, it's not a lot of players and the competitiveness and the, and the physical preparation is not as good. So if you look at England, you've got the championship, you know, as, as if you compare it to here, um, Super League A. And then below that, um, you know, you've got plenty of other leagues where guys can actually make a good living or at least have a good level of rugby. Um, if you're in the B League here, especially in Cape Town, you, you're not... Um, you're not really going to be tested, um, yeah. you know. So it's we have a massive drop-off rate. You know, we've got hundreds, thousands of, of um, schoolboys that leave school every year. But uh, after after schoolboy, you know, we have we have very very few players. Um, and then the only other landscape that's left for players as um, as an entry point from school if they don't get picked up immediately is the Varsity Cup, uh, which I've been fortunate enough to be involved in for two years in under twenty level. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of players like Marcel Brachy. Um, he came through. Uh, if you look at um, what's his name, uh, Hugh Jones, now playing for Scotland, he also came through Varsity Cup as well, which is a, which is the brainchild of uh, Francois uh, Francois Pinot. And he I think, started that. Uh, about... Former guest on the show, David Vessel, was also coached. Uh, yeah, Varsity he, he Cup, made right? a start here as well. Yeah. yeah, he he was involved at UCT as well at um, University of Cape Town. So you know that that's I think the Varsity Cup is kind of your last resort. You know, if you don't really make it a Varsity Cup level, then you're kind of done. Um, so yeah, so that's pretty much the the landscape. Right. Apart from the powerhouse schools, you've got. Obviously, with South Africa and this economic issues, you know, we've got a lot of disadvantaged schools um, that, you know, rugby either hasn't reached yet or, um, you know, they still have the facilities or the training. Yeah. Um, so there's a big gap, you know, between yeah. the, the haves and the haves nots, if you like. Yeah. Well, th- South Africa kind of reminds me of like the playing pool of, of New Zealand, like multiple cultures. You have the Maori, you have the Polynesian, you have, uh, you know, British ancestry. Uh, it's kind of a similar landscape with, uh, with South Africa. You find that that creates. Um, I think there's advantages in something like that with such a, a hot pot in the mix. Uh, obviously, there's challenges too. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a plus. I mean, I um, you know, from my coaching background, you know, I've I've worked with quite a number of backgrounds. I've coached a club where. You know, mostly most of the most of the kids are disadvantaged, and you know they actually have to bust them in every week because they can't afford to. You know, they don't have parents that can afford cars. Mm. Um, you know, and, and there's feeding schemes and a couple of other things. Um, I've also dealt with kids who are, you know, arriving in Ferraris. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it, it definitely has its challenges, but I think if South Africa, um, I think for South Africa to really succeed is to really get um, most of the population who have not played rugby before into rugby uh, more. And unfortunately at the moment, um, you know, the kids are only really getting an opportunity if they go to the super schools, as we call the super schools, uh, rugby mm-hmm. leagues, um, which costs a, a fortune, you know, to, to get a scholarship to like a Saxe or Bishops, um, you know, you're looking at a couple of hundred thousand rand a year. Um, so it's very limited in what they can actually do. Um, you know, schools are not government funded at all. Um, it's all kind of parents, pay the school fees so if the kid doesn't get into a top school like Sia Khaleesi for example he went to um, Grey College which is also yeah. one of the top schools in um, you know he, he got the opportunity to go to top school and he played against other top schools and you know obviously he you know progressed from there um, 
you know, the question the question has to be asked, you know, had he not been to a top school, would he have been playing Springboks now? You know, and, and in my view, I don't think he would have. Um, so the problem comes in. How, in many, how many Khaleesi's have been missed? Well, that's that's my saying. You know, like like South Africa has massive potential. Um, you know, rugby in the black communities is is growing, but you know it's going to take a long time still. Um, you know, and that's why the big push towards getting the guys to be um, uh, more inclusive in the Springbok level. You know, those are the kind of challenges that we have, and it's mm. it's oh, but you've got to be picked on merit, and you know those kind of things. But I think as as I kind of get older, and as the the kids who are coming through get older, um, it's going to be less of a does he deserve to be there. It's going to be more based on on. Um, you know, abilities, which I do think is at the moment, you know, Sia Khaleesi is, for me, is one of the most outstanding players we've had in a long time. And, yeah. and for me, I think he, personally, I think he should be captain. Um, you know, I think that'd be a massive statement. And um, I think he's just deserving. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, to, to, to answer the question, I mean, like, like dealing with all those cultures is challenging. Um, you know, we've got 12 official languages. Wow. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. I mean, I, I truly, yeah. truly enjoy it. And I think all youngsters learn a hell of a lot from dealing with each other. Um, and it, it helps the country, you know, it helps us kind of heal. I mean, all sports, you know, sport has a massive um, part to play in building relationships and, you know, at least just listening to each other and understanding each other. We all come from vastly different backgrounds, um, you know, some with, with toilets that they have to go walk a couple of kilometers kind of outside in the in the rain to go to, um, where, where some guys, as I said, you know, arrive in Ferraris. So, you know, I think there's a lot to learn. I think it adds, a, as long as it's done properly, I think South African rugby could be very strong as long as we tap you know, our resources. No, I agree. And, um, you know, I, even, even though they didn't have the best tour in, uh, in, in the end of the year, I, I think there's a huge amount of potential in that playing group. And I'm pretty excited to see how they build for the World Cup. Uh, I, I don't think, I, I think you write them off at, at your peril. I think they're going to be uh, stronger than a lot of people think. Yeah. You can never write off a Springbok team. No, no way. All right. Um, what, one of the reasons I got you on the show was, um, you you run your own blog. You you, you blog about coaching and and uh, mostly coaching rugby. Um, what before we go into the article that I wanted to spend a bit of time on? What's it? What's a bit of a description of your blog and the reasons for for, for writing about coaching? Yeah, that actually started by accident a couple of years ago. Um, I started off. So how it actually happened was. I was coaching um, at Sachs, my old school. I uh, just started, and a lot of. I had a whole lot of resources, and you know, the, and it was. I think this, it was kind of the turning point of Sachs going from very amateur and very academically focused to a bit more serious at at, at, um, at school uh, for rugby. And um, you know, the kids used to come up to me. I was coaching under 50 days at that time, and you know, they come to me and oh, you know, sir, don't you have um, don't you have a gym program? And sir, don't you have a, a nutritional program? You know, I want to get big, and you know, I want to get strong. And what are your thoughts on supplements? And you know, at one stage I was handing out CDs and you know, um, discs and, uh, flash drives. So, you know, eventually I realized, you know, like I can't do this all day. Um, so I eventually looked at ways of, of distributing that content in an easy kind of way. And, um, you know, I, I looked at making websites. I asked a mate of mine that I went to school with, he was making websites at that time. And I said, you know, mate, can you help me make one? And, uh, you know, he helped me make it. And, um, it was that was back in 2009. Uh, so I made it. I mean, it was horrendous. It was one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. But you know, it worked. And you know, that kind of how it, how it started. And then mm. I started blogging in terms of like uh, what happened at practice. And I used it as a communications means with the parents. It was I was very clueless in terms of the online landscape. I didn't <laughs> actually know what was going on. Um, you know, so I just kind of it kind of stumbled on it by accident. And then, um, you know, over the years, it's gone through various kind of changes. Um, and you know, I started writing a lot when I when I left uh, when I left Sax. I moved on to kind of do my own thing. Um, and I, and I got very passionate about finding out what was really about coaching. Um, I always, always thought that there was a missing, there was something missing. Mm. Uh, you know, I only got, only got coached a certain way. So I'd coached a certain way. Yeah. I actually had to apologize to a few players over the years, you know, for the way I used to coach when I was younger. We all um, have. <laughs> I think, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's so bad, you know, like I cringe. You know, I, <laughs> no. I actually, funny enough, funny enough, my first, uh, my first team I ever coached, they were under 11s at the time. And, um, you know, I used to make them do fitness until they were bloody crying to their parents, you know, wow, toughen, yeah. you know, you got to toughen the kids up, you know, that was a kind of uh, uh, thought process that my mind went through. And um, I actually, uh, I actually ended up coaching one of the kids uh, at UCT for the last two years. So he's 20 odds, 22 now. Um, 
and you know he still tells the guys the stories in the, in the you know the change about what a what an asshole I was <laughs> back in the day. And you don't think you are, you know, you think yeah. you're doing the right thing, but yeah. you know you have no idea. So yeah, so I mean that that's kind of how it started. Um, you know, and then I started hunting, you know, for questions, and mm. you know, started answer, hunting for for uh, answers rather uh, to the questions I had about you know surely there's a better way of doing this. Yeah. Um, so after about two years of introspection, I started writing a lot of um, you know my thoughts at the time, and you can almost track the the journey the thought yeah. processes that went through my mind at the time. Um, you know, I met, you know, they started finding out like Mark, uh, Mark Upton and Lynn Kidman and those mm. kind of guys um, started, you know, and I think something just clicked. And I remember um, I read a book by one of my uh, good mentors and friend, uh, his name's Tim Goodenough. Um, he, he was a, he's the kind of mental coach. He's been involved with the sharks and um, cricket South Africa at the moment. And he, he, he just wrote something in the book and I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was basically just like, um, you know, this is like the right way to coach kind of thing. And then from there on, everything just kind of clicks. So if you read my blogs for the last couple, like four or five years, it's just been like a journey of just kind of discovery. I haven't written as often as I wanted to, but, um, you know, it's just kind of my outpouring of thinking, you know, mm. and the passion of that. No one's, you know, if no one's going to listen to you, you know, you, at least you can write somewhere. And, and I've had a great response from the UK, especially uh, to, to the to the blogs and my tweets and stuff, and um, mm, right. you know, it's been a good outlet for me. So you know, that's kind of how it started, and that's kind of where it is now. Yeah, well, um, you know, the, the the latest one I've read, I've read a few on there, and the latest one I read was, I thought, oh, I've got to get got to get you on the show. Um, it's titled uh, "After Ten Years of Coaching." Here's what I think I know. Pretty pretty cool title. I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't mind just kind of picking that apart a little bit. Like what, one of the first point you. You talk about in the blog is uh, you make the statement that you you actually have less of an impact on the development of a player's abilities than you think as a coach. What what do you mean by that? What, what's some you know, examples you can give there? Yeah, I um, you know, I I remember going to when I was with Nick Levitt. Um, he invited me to um, uh, he was at Fulham. He was working at the academy at the time, and I spent a day with. Him. And um, you know, it, it it's been mentioned to me a few times, and I've kind of. Uh, read it a couple of times but it kind of the penny dropped when I saw it and you know he said to me like mate like you have such a little impact with your players like in terms of their actual playing abilities you'd be amazed um you know I think when I first started and I, and I mentioned the blog that you know I thought that you know if, if I spent you know countless hours with kids um you, know, you could turn anyone into something and you know I, I do believe there is some you know some factual basis and that's you know like if you work hard you know you'll get somewhere mm-hmm. but you, you, they, they kind of, their kind of overall development is very limited. You know, unless you spend, unless you're maybe an individual coach, like a gymnastic coach or something like that, or a swimming coach or something, you spend, you know, your entire kind of, you spend uh, every day with them, kind of thing over like a 10, 12 year period. Mm. Um, you know, I think you do have a big impact in terms of how they how they progress. Um, you're still limited by the by the facts of genes and how they grew up. Um, you know, the opportunities, the opponents, their brothers, their sisters. Uh, you know, there's there's a whole lot of facts that come into how a player develops. But I think the vast majority of coaches only have, you know, maybe call it two hours a week and maybe a year with their with their players. Um, so the actual playing abilities. I mean, we all know, like if 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 you dive into the technical aspects of coaching, it's just insane. You know, you'd never be able to cover every. You know, every basis of every evidence-based um, coaching mythology, like you could, you could never do it. But in terms of like the actual uh, inspiring them, I think you have a much bigger impact than mm, than, than a lot of people realize. You know, to become a to become an expert coach, as I said, it's just, yeah, it's just mind blowing. I just spent the last few weeks trying to you know put everything together that I know and how to kind of put it into put it together at UCT at, uh, at the University of um, of Cape Town, you know, how do we, how are we going to develop our players over the next five years? Um, and it was insane amount of work. And I just looked at it and like, geez, like, how am I going to get all this right? You know, it's, it's very intimidating. And it's, and I've been doing this for like five, six years now in terms of this kind of new approach. So I think for the vast majority of coaches, I think um, if they focus on just the individual uh, inspiring them, you know, creating the right environment, um, you know, just, just, you know, as I said, like just getting them to be creative and just thinking differently, um, you know, you'll have a far, far bigger impact than, um, than than trying to make them a better passer or a better tackler or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, we all – coaches' default setting almost is the technical side of the game. But, yeah, um, you yeah. Know, I'm a and strong it, believer. And to be honest, it's probably the worst. Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. I'm a strong believer on the, the, the behaviours of your group drives, that technical side, and, and the, 
the intensity at which the team plays and then the technical stuff comes in after that. I, I couldn't agree with you more on what you're saying. Yeah, and I mean, I'll give you a good example. I mean, when I when I first uh, took over the, um, I was head coach of uh, Saxon under fifteen at, at um, in about two thousand and ten, and I got this group of. I mean, there were absolute no hopers. Um, I think the school gave it to me as a as a, you know, if you can do something with them, great. Um, and they, 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 I think they only won about twenty percent of their games the year before. And I said mm-hmm. it's really competitive at, at school level. Your parents expect. They expect good coaches, you know, when they're paying a fortune for their kids to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I knew absolutely nothing about rugby. I mean, like I played it my whole life, as I said, but you you, you kind of just go back to your defaults and you realize what you don't know. And, you know, all I focused on was just like what we call Gears, um, which is basically your, uh, uh, I don't know how do you explain it, uh, your uh, environment, uh, your, your, your fun uh, I think of that. I can't think of the exact word. I think of it just now. Um, but basically, your is is like your energy. Really, it's like your mm-hmm. your fun. Um, and we did that really well. And you know, the, the guys cre- created their own name. Um, they had their own song. Uh, you know, every after every game, you know, it didn't matter if they won or lost. You know, they just had an absolute blast with each other. And you know, I got carried off the field at the end of the year after the last game. Um, you know, kind of one of those awesome, awesome moments. Yeah. It was. It wasn't scripted. You know, it was just generally like the kids you know, just felt like it was just the right thing to do. And, um, you know, the next year I, I studied the game like crazy. I went to a couple of advanced coaching courses uh, with a couple of spring box and stuff. And I just got so damn technical, mm. um, you know, cause I was like, you know, if we're going to win, um, you know, the players need to play rugby correctly. So, you know, we, we dived into everything. I mean, we, we're doing international level kind of stuff and uh, at 16 years old. And funny enough, you know, we only won one more game than the year before. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, after an entire year of just like hammering them with, with professionalism and technical aspects, they, they didn't do any better really uh, versus the year before where they just kind of worked on their environments and they, you know, we, we made them feel like they're a million bucks every time they walked off the field. So, yeah. you know, I think that's where it comes from. Yeah. And you talk about that, you talk about the environment you create is far more important. Uh, than the tactics and game plans. You, you, in in that part of your blog post, you, you talk a lot about soft skills and the importance of those. What do you want to mm. talk a little bit about those and and kind of how they look uh, on on the practice field and when you're interacting with players? Yeah, I mean, like the the, the like the soft skills. I mean, I call it the soft skills. I'm sure there's other different terminologies for it, but um, the 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 soft skills are kind of what I believe is that what's going to take people a lot further in life. Um, you know, uh, rugby is not my only kind of focus anymore. It's not my only importance. Um, as you get older, you know, you kind of diversify a bit and, you know, I've, I've gone into the business world a bit and, you know, you, you get into serious relationships, you know, suddenly, you know, I haven't, I haven't quite got there with the kids uh, side yet, but you know, those kind of things change your mindset a lot. Sure. Um, and, you, you know, you look at, you look at like kids now and, you know, you look at what makes people successful and, you know, when I hire, I don't look at what degree you have. I don't look at if you were a prefect. I'm a bit of a rebel. Um, I was a bit, uh, but naughty at school, if you like, and um, you know, kind of bucking the system. And I pride myself on kind of thinking differently from from the kind of accepted norms. And you know, the the pieces of paper and what you achieved in a school, for example, doesn't mean anything to me because those aren't the traits that actually take you forward. And you know, I'm quite, uh, I'm quite a bit of a tech. Uh, what do you call it? A, a big fan of tech, if you like. And um, you, you know, you look at the world, how the, quickly the world's changing um, in terms of the, the, the products we use, um, how we communicate. You know, we've got machine learning, we've got AI. Um, you know, thousands, millions of jobs are going to be taken away over the next kind of 20, 30, 40 years. Um, you know, we're in a situation where we're not going to be driving cars. Uh, you know, I mean, who would have thought of that, you know, 50 kind of years ago, you know, that's actually a reality. You know, it's always been in science fiction. I mean, it's actually going to be reality in our lifetimes. Um, and you think about the, the kind of skill sets that we're teaching kids. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's still based on the old kind of old models of, of what determines success. But, you know, things like leadership and thinking creatively and, you know, I hate using the terminology, think outside the box, but, you know, kind of what everyone understands. Um, you know, those, those are kind of... Um, those are the kind of skills that, that actually make a big difference, you know, um, just, just kind of thinking differently, um, you know, how you make a decision, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a rugby ball, uh, how to score a try or how, how you make a decision in the boardroom, you know, it's, they're, they're important and you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to be, um, an individual thinker, you know, you actually have to think for yourself. You can't have someone telling you what to do and how to do it. Um, you know, your self-motivation, for example, and your discipline, you know, like 
I'm I'm my own boss, and you know, waking up every day is you know, it, it has to happen. You know, no one's going to shout at me, no one's going to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do I have the discipline to to make sure that my staff um, are well looked after? You know, that I'm that I'm on time, that I'm looking after the clients, etc. So, you know, th- those are. Those are skills that that if they don't play international rugby, it doesn't matter. But those are skills that are transferable to every aspect of their lives. Um, you know, and I know that England. Um, I spoke with Rusty um, uh, the other day uh, from the uh, Magic Academy, and he's with England under 18. Mm. And you know, they focus on cards at the moment, which is their kind of acronym for. Um, Creativity, uh, awareness. Trying to hopefully resilience. remember one of them. Resilience, uh, decision making. I yeah. think it is. Yeah, and then and then the last. Self organization. That's yeah. it. And I promise you, like every single one of those, I mean, I, I've it kind of cards just kind of summarizes what I was talking about soft skills. Um, mm. So, you know, if, if you can, and there's a reason for it, you know, having a, having a self disciplined, aware decision maker, you know, who's self motivated, who's got confidence um, and can problem solve and be creative. Whether that's on the rugby field, off the rugby field, in general, you know, we're going to create better people. And you know, the All Blacks love to say it, but you know, better people make better All Blacks, mm. and it's true. You know, because our job as coaches is to, is to is actually prepare people as people first and foremost, and then rugby players. And I know professional rugby coaches will. And I've carried a couple of comments with uh, agents over the past couple of weeks. You know, oh, but professional rugby is performance based. Absolutely agree with that. You know, so so is the business world. So is life. Um, but ultimately, like if you don't create better people, you know, you're never actually going to be able to um, uh, succeed on the field in the long term. And I firmly believe that. So, yeah. No, yeah. So I think that's where we're not uh, we're not focusing enough on. Um, and so, what's that look like on the on the training field for you? How do you how do you put players into those situations where they can they can learn and develop those soft skills? So I've done a couple of things in the past, and I haven't. I mean, this is something I. I um, because I've been an assistant coach for a long, long time, I haven't been able to kind of implement all my uh, philosophies and ideas. And that was a big part of my frustration, which is where the blog comes in, as I said earlier. But um, this year, for example, I I, I ran the under-21s at, uh, at UCT. And, you know, the, the guys were just not – they just weren't kicking into gear. And I decided that I was the problem. So I uh, I made sure that I wasn't at the games. Mm. And, I, and I didn't actually rock up at a couple of practices. Um, <laughs> and – you know, I think the administrator. I, had to, I actually had to explain to the administrators what the what the hell was going on. You know, because you kind of see the coach rocking up five minutes before the game. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, these guys are twenty years old. You know, they're adults. You know, they they they're in the the stage of their life where they need to start taking responsibility for themselves. Um, and you know, the captain. I said, listen, mate, like you're running the you're running the the warm up. You're running. I mean, obviously we had the physio there, but um, you know, you're running the pre match practice and the whole bloody thing. And um, you know, every time I did that, they played phenomenally well. And I didn't even chat them at half time. You know, players took charge of that. And the captain was in charge. The captain was in charge. Very much old school. And you know, every time they played better. You know, because every single one of the players they realized that they were self reliant on each other. And they had to, you know, look to each other to succeed, you know, and, and, you know, when the players, it's, we've all said it at some point, I'm sure, but, you know, when a player or your best mate tells you to do something and, you know, you don't do it, you know, you're the dick, um, where if a teacher or a coach says it to you or a parent, you know, yeah, 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 you know, there are, there are someone else telling you what to do and you can just kind of like buck the system. But when it's your mates, you know, you got to do it. Um, otherwise you're on the wrong kind of thing. So, you know, that was that was the one big lesson I took from this year. It was a phenomenal phenomenal learning experience for me and the players. Um, and interestingly, uh, I actually hired one of the one of the players that uh, was playing for me this year. And you know, he says to me, "Oh, but the captain didn't actually take charge of everything. You know, he came to me and he asked for help." And I was like, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's, awesome. that's working. Yeah, great result. <laughs> so that's called self-organization. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the main thing I took from this year. And that kind of ties into teamwork, leadership, and uh, other things. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the actual training field, I do a couple of things in terms of, like, their creativity and problem solving. After, I learned this from Nick Levitt. I use, um, you know, sometimes I have, like, four, four balls in one game, mm. um, one touch game. And, you know, it's just absolute chaos, just, just chaos going all over the place. And, um you know, the players self-organize and they, they come up with creative solutions and they actually, uh, it's a bit of a constraints approach really, but, um, you know, that, that's kind of one of the, one of the areas that, um, that worked quite well in terms of that on field. Um, and in the past I have also done uh, video analysis where the guys actually did their own video analysis. Mm, um, yeah. often the coach just kind of lectures for like six years, you know, guys, this is how it should be. I mean, I've crapped on players, video analysis sessions became like the most 
you know, the, the worst time of the, of the week. Mm. Same in the professional era. You know, a lot of players hate, hate fit analysis because they get told what they're doing wrong. Um, but when players self-analyze, you know, the opposition, et cetera, they're taking control. And we did this with Varsity Cup a couple of years ago. And the players absolutely loved it. You know, they loved seeing their, their videos and their highlights and stuff. And interestingly, the players always went to their positives, mm. not their negatives. Um, and, and, you know, we all know that a, that a more confident team is a better team. Um, and yet as coaches, we kind of hit on the negatives. Um, and, you know, with them taking control of that, they, um, you know, they enjoyed video analysis a lot more. They took more ownership and, you know, there's various other things that are, split them up more and you know have them present to the teams and that kind of stuff but um you know that's what it looks from 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 that point of view and it's uh to me it's the only way to go forward yeah cool awesome and you know the last bit on your blog there and i'll, I'll put the link up in the show notes so, so people can have a read and uh follow follow your blog as well um you talk about being uh you know that that enlightenment period um as you well, you talk about three areas you talk about uh being a newbie coach and then transferring into an ego-driven coach, I think, uh, I think I can definitely relate with that. Um, yeah. And then that enlightenment period, which I can definitely also relate with. Um, for, for me, my enlightenment period, there was a there was a key turning point for me where where we we'd won a game. It was a pretty ugly win, but we'd won. And this is senior men's rugby. And leaving the field, you could have sworn that half the players felt like we'd lost, and it was. Totally because of my behaviour and the way I treated mm-hmm. the players, especially at halftime. Um, and right there, I just I felt horrible on that drive. I had a two-hour drive home, and it was you know pretty, by myself, pretty awful. Uh, and I just straight away said, "I've got to make a change. This is, the guys are not enjoying it. Uh, it's to be fun." Um, that was a key turning moment for me. Was it? Was there one for you in that enlightenment stage? And and what's that enlightenment stage kind of look like for you as a coach? Yeah, I think. I just got to think. Uh, I mean, I think the, I think I touched on it earlier. You know, the newbie coach, um, and you'll see my the, the picture on the blog. You'll see the you know the guys holding up their fingers. We, they called themselves the top dogs. Um, that was my newbie experience. Yeah, they loved it. Um, they had this whole song, and it was, they were the laugh of the of the school. But you know, they had an absolute blast. Um, the, you know, when I, when I went ego driven, um, that was you know as I said that was. Um, it was all about results. It was all about me. Um, a lot of coaches fall into that. Um, you know, after a loss, I would sit there for hours, just you know, just being absolute ass. You know, just I, I, you know, my mates would be like, you know, very just kind of go home. You know, you're kind of dampening the whole evening. Um, you know, because a loss was, as I said, you know, it's like worse than death. You know, it's like the worst thing. And I think for me, the 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 enlightenment. I mean, I'm a stubborn bugger anyway. I mean, it's it's everyone knows that that knows me. Um, you know, I, I try not to be, but you know, it's just one of those things you know you you kind of back what you what you think um but i think that the enlightenment for me was was um i'm trying to think of actual specific moment but i remember it was it was one of the games i think it was we played against paul Ruiz in the 16 and the guys played against one of the top teams of the year in the country they were like probably the second or even the first top team in the country that year and the 16 level. And we were actually leading at half time. And, you know, the, I think the year before they lost 60 points and they, they lost by about five points after the game. And the guys were just kind of like dejected. And I was like, you've played the best game of your lives. You know, you've, you've, you've given it everything. It was one of the perfect games. I know that, um, and I'm not blaming my own trumpet yet, but one of the parents on the opposition side actually said, you know, like, this looks like a really well kind of drilled side. And to be honest, I thought, I don't know how he thinks so. Cause I think, you know, I didn't do a good job kind of thing. You know, as a coach, you always think you can do a better job, but you know, you know, he said like these guys, you know, really, really played for each other and it was a phenomenal effort, but you know, it was just like, it was just like worse than death. And I was like, you know, man, like this, this can't be happening. You're like, well, why? You know, this doesn't feel right, you know, and, and you can just see the players just aren't, just aren't like enjoying themselves anymore. It was all about playing to win. It was like a springbok test. And, um, you know, I just kind of said like, you know, this is, this is not on, um, you know, so it took, it took a while. And I think the big one for me was I actually got, I actually got asked to leave from, um, from my coaching position at, uh, at the school at the time, uh, I had a bit of a fallout, mm-hmm. but of politics, I'm sure every coach can be, um, can, uh, identify with that at some point. Um, and I think I spent two years, just going like, you know, there's something wrong. There's something wrong when I'm when I'm at the center of the universe and the players are not. 
um, I didn't start out coaching like that. And somehow I ended up like that because that's kind of environment that, um, that, that you are brought up in. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to be surrounded by teachers. Um, you know, I'm not a teacher myself, but I've, I've worked with a lot of teachers, especially junior school teachers. And one of my mentors specifically, you know, just, you know, Ross, just remember it's a hobby. It's a hobby. It's a hobby. Um, and you know, it kind of like drill, you know, it takes a while, especially if you're ambitious, but it took a while. But, you know, for me, that enlightenment period was, was kind of like, I'm not that important. Um, the players are more important. I enjoy coaching, but I enjoy coaching for the environment, creating an environment and getting people out of their shells. You know, I take great delight in seeing a, a kid or even a young adult go from, uh, you know, unsure of themselves and, you know, they can't, they, they don't back themselves to do something. And then by the end of it, you know, they, they, they are flourishing, you know, they, they're more confident, you know, so I take, I take great pride in that more so than the results, you know, and I think one of my, one of my, uh, what do you call it? One of my um, heroes, if you like, one of the guys I'd like to become like was uh, was a UCT um, uh, legend and a Springbok coach. As well, he's just passed away recently, in the last two weeks. Um, but Doc Moss was mm. uh, loved, absolutely loved by his players. You know, he often used to have the guys around and you know help them with their studies at varsity. And you know, like I was at a dinner with him a couple of weeks ago, and he, um, you know, the players just, I mean, ex Springboks, you know, Keith Andrews was standing and just going like, you know, we really really appreciate you you know and I've, i said like you know if 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 the players aren't coming to my funeral or you know they, they don't want to they don't want to have a beer with me if they see me in the street then mm. there's something wrong Absolutely. um yeah. so i think that that's what it looks like mm. you know if, if the players respect you and you respect them and you know it's, it's a mutual uh kind of growth you know that you you don't know everything and they don't know everything and that you know you're there for them um you know i think i think that's the key and if if, if it's not like that and you're shouting and screaming um you're in the wrong phase. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. All right, yeah, to, last question before we move on to our final four questions. You, you talked a little bit at the beginning that you, you're involved in business. You actually own two businesses. What, what are some of the transferable skills from, from business that you, you have used in your coaching and then vice versa that, that uh, coaching coaches can learn from the business world? Yeah, I'd actually say I've learned I – I think it's more – coaching to business to be honest mm-hmm. um i think business is very old school in the way they deal with with people uh, it's very much like a hierarchy uh, you have your manager you know micromanaging reporting um you know there, there's a lot of uh I, I don't think there's a lot of trust you know it's, it's very much like uh watching people like hawks kind of thing you know what time are you in why aren't you why are you have five minutes late um but What's kind of moving? What's happening now? A lot, especially in like the, I know the tech world is is quite, uh, if you like, hippie. You know, with the I'm sure the old school guys don't understand it, but um, you know, it's becoming very like decentralized, and you know, it's it's becoming. You know, there's a lot of uh, your hours are different. You know, you can kind of just waltz in. You, you know, there's a lot of uh, freelancing going on, especially in the millennial kind of generation. A lot of guys are working from home. Um, you know, wherever they, you know, from wherever they can find a desk or an internet connection, and the, obviously, the internet has changed that, and. Um, you know the the what I found is that the more I act like a coach in the office, the better the team do. Um, and it kind of comes as no surprise. You know, I'm a big believer in the the more you walk away at the practice, you know, the better the kinds the guys kind of do. As I said earlier, you know, like leave the practice field, let them go, um, you know, let them make the decisions. You know, create the environment where where people are allowed to make decisions. And you know, I've done exactly that. I mean, I haven't done it perfectly. I mean. There's a long way to go, lots of learnings to do. But I, I, eventually I want to try and get to the point where, and I think we have done a lot of it already, especially with some of the younger staff. You know, most of my staff are under 25, um, is is you kind of let them do their thing. And there's no kind of micromanaging involved. And, you know, the growth that we've seen has been quite phenomenal. And what's interesting is that the guys eventually evolve towards the jobs that they enjoy doing the most. And, you know, they're very passionate. I mean, often the guys are here late at night, you know, not not late, but, you know, like, you know, after hours kind of thing. There's no, like, kind of clocking in at five and, you know, coming in at eight and, you know, they're like, oh, no, it's, I don't I don't have, you know, the hours are done now kind of thing. You know, the guys are really passionate about the business and they're really passionate about helping the whole thing grow, um, you know, which, which kind of shows it's the same in, in, in the team environment. You know, if they take ownership of something and you let them kind of go, you let them do their thing and do what they're passionate about, um, you know, we're, we're quite happy with the guys evolving and changing. And, you know, if we have to hire someone else to, to do what we originally thought they were going to do, you know, I'm okay with that. Um, you know, I think the same goes for the, for the rugby fields, you know, or the coaching field is, you know, you don't 
pick a fly half or you don't pick your fullback or you don't pick your hooker and then stand over them every five seconds. Like at some point they actually have to play the game. Mm. You know, you're on the sidelines. And I think leadership is very much like that. It doesn't matter if it's off the, in the field, um, in the business or even in the teaching field. Um, I think the, the sage on the stage is dead. I think it has been dead for a long, long time. And the kind of ideas that we all have of the strong leader from Hollywood doesn't fit the mold. And I think the less you talk and the, the more you allow people to do, um, you know, the better they succeed. And I've been in, I've been working for companies where, you know, I've got a sage on the stage and, you know, I've been, you know, kind of told what to do. And it's horrible. You know, you kind of, you feel constrained. And I think um, it's the same on the rugby fields. You know, players get told what to do um, and they're not allowed to f- express themselves. So I think the transferable skills, I think the biggest thing I think is, is again, it goes back to environments. I think if you can, if you can isolate that as one, one area that you can succeed in is, you know, create the right environment for expression, for self-learning, uh, for mistakes. You know, we don't get angry if people get make mistakes. I mean, hell, I make mistakes all the time. Um, you know, if I if I shout at them but not shout at myself, then it doesn't kind of work. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, we look, we treat we treat mistakes as learning experiences, same in the business and um, and on the on the learn, on the rugby field. And I I'm a big believer in mistakes. So yeah, I think the transferable skills is simply that culture. Uh, you know, walking away. And I think you know people talk about culture, but to be honest, it's actually I know Tom Dawson Squibb, one of the mental coaches in Cape Town, he spoke about it um, recently on Twitter. You know, he said, like, culture, you can't just create a culture. It's a lot of micro moments that are built up over time. Um, and everything you say, everything you do, you know, the, they're watching you and, you know, you're watching them kind of thing. And it, culture becomes a, a living, breathing organism, if you like. Um, and, you know, ultimately it comes down to the environment you created and allowing people to, to make those mistakes, to learn, to grow and to, to be leaders. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest uh, kind of takeaways I've found. Um, but my challenge is to make sure that I do more of my coaching philosophies in the office, um, which sometimes you don't feel like it does transfer, but it really, really does. Awesome. All right. Well, we always end the show with the same final four questions. When you were a kid growing up in South Africa, who who was one of the players you you really admired and looked up to? Yeah. So, uh, as I was, as a short, fat, and squat uh, with no skills, um, you know, I was the '95 era with the World Cup '99. Um, James Dalton for me just stood out. Um, yeah. He was just. Abs- I mean, his nickname. was bullet um you know you're kind of identified with someone who plays in your position you know i didn't identify with the fly halves couldn't care less about them um but james is just one of those abrasive players that i just thought was phenomenal yeah suffered the indignity of uh being sent off uh yeah. after a fight that was started by two wingers uh in the in the quarterfinal against canada yeah and ironically i've actually uh, coached one of those wingers kids <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah yeah no that's uh that was, that was a pretty uh massive moment uh that that uh that, that i think it was the quarterfinal right i think it was yeah well no yeah. it was a battle of butterasmus that stadium actually yeah. doesn't even exist anymore unfortunately right. yeah but uh, yeah okay and what about now who are some who are some of the players going around that you really like what they're doing yeah i think uh, it goes back to the the positional thing again um obviously like Bowden is phenomenal but i mean like mm. for me like dane coles just kind of like sums up the the, the i think the new zealand approach um uh, I know everyone kind of, uh, New Zealand is the, the pinnacle, but I mean, Graham Henry's been working on this kind of approach for the last 10, 15 years, um, you know, in terms of the skill set. And Dane Coles is, I think, the culmination of it. I remember reading a white paper by uh, Graham Henry when he was still coaching Wales about skills and, you know, skill acquisition and that kind of thing. It was early 2000s, he wrote that paper. And, you know, you look at how Dane Coles plays now and you look back at what he was saying. Um, you know, Dan Coles must have been in his early teens when he wrote that, uh, probably even under 10, to be honest. Um, you know, and the way he plays now, those lines, I mean, he ran that, the one line he scored, uh, I can't remember which, which uh, team he played against, but he scored uh, running a line that a backline player struggled to do. Mm. Um, you know, under the poles, untouched, just a phenomenal line. I think, you know, he's the best, apart from uh, Malcolm Marks, you know, with his physicality, I think mm-hmm. Dan Coles brings far more to the field than anyone else. So he's probably my number one at the moment. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Okay. And what about what about coaches? Who are some of the high-profile coaches that you you like what they're doing? There's actually two at the moment. Um, one I've actually met both of them. Uh, Eddie Jones, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, although he's done really well with the team and stuff, I don't really look at the results. What I like is that he he's very open to learning. I remember when I had a coaching course with him in South Africa when he was with the Springboks with Jake White. He said, um, you know, one of the one of the opposition coaches at one stage asked him for his playbook in a joking manner, and Eddie Jones is like, cool. 
you know, I'll send it to you. Yeah. Um, you know, like, and I was just like, what? Like, you know, Jake White was talking about having spies going into the hotels of opposition teams before the night, before the test, you know, to see if there's any playbooks left uh, in the changing rooms. You know, Jake was very much open to that. Um, where Eddie Jones is like, well, take my playbook. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, it goes to different thinking, creative thinking. And it's just like, you know, if, if I can't, and that this is exact kind of words he says, like, if I can't innovate, more than what I've done in the past, then I shouldn't be coaching at the level I am. Yeah, you know, right. it's just like, geez, brilliant. And uh, the other one is um, is uh, Gregor Townsend. Um, I haven't spent much time with him, but, you know, the way Scotland played in the last couple of weeks, um, mm-hmm. uh, awesome. to be honest, like if, if I had a perfect game in my head, he, he's, uh, he's achieved that. So, yeah, definitely those two. Yeah, no, we talked about him in the last episode, actually, um, Gregor Townsend. Yeah, it's it's they're a team on the up, or they're they're already up, and uh, going to add some serious interest into the Six Nations this season uh, in 2018. Can't wait! All right, and what, last question: What about uh, someone in the grassroots uh, around your area who's doing really good work and deserves some recognition? Yeah, I said. Um... You know, skill acquisition and, and kind of the new kind of approach to coaching are like, you know, the kind of new that's been around for ages in the UK. South Africa, it's been a long, long road to get there. And there's a couple of coaches what I'm really excited about that are starting to take it to the professional era, um, which, which you know, for me is finally, you know, kind of like, you know, yes, finally, you know, guys are, guys are taking us on board. But there's, there's two coaches, um, but the one is A.B. Uh, Zondach. He's... Um, the son of um, also <laughs> Alan, Z- uh, Alan Zondach and he um, was also a professional coach back in the day but his son although I haven't met him um, he's a skills coach of the Sharks at the moment and there's another one in Joburg uh, at the Lions but both of them are kind of very much uh, they're young and upcoming and they are kind of talking they're implementing with professional players what we've been talking about on Twitter for the last, you know, five or six years. So that really excites me. Um, whether you know, whether they become head coaches or not one day is, is another story. But, you know, in terms of young coaches, I think, um, you know, it's, it's really exciting me to see that skill acquisition and, you know, skill coaches and game sense and the kind of, you know, the, the right way to coaching, if you like, in inverted brackets, is, is, is taking hold in essays. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad right. that they're tweeting and I'm glad that they're getting the word out. All right, Ross. Well, I've really enjoyed the, the conversation and, huge amount out of it and want to want to thank you for coming on the show and uh really really think that you've you've offered up some great ideas for coaches out there and want to want to wish you all the best to to your coaching uh with university of cape town and also uh with your business life and uh yeah thanks again for giving up an hour of your time yeah i appreciate it really enjoyed it uh hopefully i haven't bored anyone to death but uh, yeah it's been uh, pretty good so thanks for having me awesome no worries cheers for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.